0: Be here like mystery stories, like yeah, like whether it's a TV show, book, or movie or something like that. I've I've always loved mystery stories for some reason. What's funny is though, I don't really try and figure out what's going on, like try and figure out who done it and all that. Although apparently it's always the butler, <laughs> not always, but a lot of times. Um, I just like to enjoy the story. Now, but if I do figure it out before I get to the end of the book, I'm smug after that because I'm just like. I'm smart. Um, most of the time, though, I'm, I'm not paying enough to cl- close enough attention to the clues. Like, my enjoyment for the mysteries started uh, when I was young. I read this book series that was called Encyclopedia Brown. Anybody know Encyclopedia Brown? Boy detective. Um, it's a great book series. These books would tell the story of, of Encyclopedia Brown solving cases, silly cases, like things kids would worry about, like who stole my lunch money, things like that. Um, and what they would do is he would solve it, but then at the back of the book, you would get to see how he solved it, like all the clues that he came up with and everything, and I never got any of those right. Like, I was smart, but I wasn't that smart, apparently. Um, More recently, I've been reading through the Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot books. I've really enjoyed those. Um, I still don't get those right, but uh, I enjoy the stories. I enjoy the characters and everything. But all these are focused on mysteries, whether it's a murder, of which Hercule Poirot is amazingly around a lot of murders, um, whether it's the stealing of lunch money, or whether it's figuring out who the ghost is in a Scooby-Doo mystery. (laughs) There's always a mystery to be solved, right? Today we're going to be talking about a mystery, but more specifically the part where the mystery gets solved, or rather it's revealed in this case. I think back to those mystery books and shows, there's always that big reveal at the end, you know, where Scooby-Doo, they pull the mask off the ghost, and it's always, you know, Farmer Dan or something. Not Farmer Dan. That would be bad. (laughs) Well, sorry, Dan. (laughs) Anyway, it would be somebody. Um, Good example of this, though, is from the uh, movie from the book The Thin Man, if you've ever uh, seen or, or read that. The movie came out in the 30s, so it's black and white, so I know some people don't like that, but um, but it is a great movie, and it uh, it follows the married socialite couple of Nick and Nora Charles, uh, but what they do is at the end of the movie, they get all the suspects together and they, ha- they host a dinner for them, and during the dinner, Nick just systematically goes through the entire case and he sends people down like five false starts, but it finally reveals the true culprit. Now, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians for the last month, and we've gotten to chapter 3. And early on in the letter, way back in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul mentions a mystery, the mystery of God's will that he has made known to us. And then he just kind of, like, leaves it there. He doesn't mention it for a while. He doesn't really mention it again as he goes through the typical parts of the letter where he's giving thanks to the believers of Ephesus, telling them how he's praying for them or talking about... You know, how they've been made alive with Christ through God's grace. Then looking at how the Gentiles and the Jews were reconciled uh, through Christ, what we looked at last week. But now he's going to come back to the mystery and explain exactly what that mystery is. And so if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 3 with me and follow along. Ephesians 3, we're going to start with the first three verses. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... Surely, you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Now, have you ever been talking to somebody and you say something that triggers a thought in your brain, and it makes you like change, uh, like w- the what you're talking about? Uh, you start to go down the rabbit hole of that thought that got triggered. like So now, basically, you've interrupted yourself, and you are talking about something completely different than what you were talking about before. I, I do that probably way too often. but uh, So I don't know if you're like me or if you can actually keep you know your train of thought on the rails, but there's probably somebody in your life who does that. But Paul is doing that here. He interrupts himself. He starts by saying something in verse 1, so we'll read that again, where it says, for this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he stops. And apparently the word Gentiles triggered something in him that he had to stop and go down this different track. What it seems like is Paul's starting to describe how he prays for the Ephesians as he's writing to them. And the reason that a lot of people think this is because if you look at verse 14, it starts with the same, for this reason, I, again. So this is a little diversion we're going to go on with Paul here. One other quick thing to note is, before we move on, is that Paul mentions that he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus or of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. And he is, in fact, in prison at this time in Rome when he's writing this. But he doesn't look at that as a bad thing. Francis Foulkes, in his commentary, writes, To outward appearance, he was the prisoner of Rome, confined by the will of men, but just as his spiritual life in Christ mattered far more to him than his outward circumstances and environment, So now he regarded himself as a prisoner by the will of his master. So he'd gladly call himself a prisoner of Christ. And he's in prison for the sake of the Gentiles. And it's here where Paul changes course. And he pauses his prayer to explain some things. He says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace given to me for you that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. So Paul's been given the administration of God's grace for the readers of the letter. Administration can also be translated as stewardship. might help us better understand this. Paul's ministry is the stewardship of God's unique plan, which is what he described as the mystery which was made known to him by revelation. So it's a mystery that Paul has only gotten through from a revelation from God. Because that's really what a revelation is. It is it's a message from God. It's the same word that we get apocalypse from. It means revelation. So God has given Paul the job to steward this mystery for the Ephesians. And we'll talk about this, about when this happened in a little bit. But what is the mystery? Well, let's let's find out. Ephesians 3 verse 4 says, In reading this, then you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to or by the Spirit, to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul begins by talking about how he, they will be able to understand his insight into this mystery, and it's pretty simple, he says, it's in reading this part of the letter. Mystery books, movies, TV shows, they, a lot of times they tend to try and throw you off the trail of who the real culprit is, who the real answer to the mystery is. They throw somebody in there who might look like they're guilty, But they're really not. But unlike all those stories, Paul's just going to give the readers the answer to the mystery. He just says, hey, when you read this, you're going to understand everything. You'll understand what the mystery is. But there's one other thing he says before he reveals it. He talks about when this mystery would be made known. When did it get revealed? He says it wasn't made known to the people in the older generations. So this was something about this generation of people, the first generation of Christians... Not Jews, just Jews or Gentiles, but followers of Jesus. So we're now in the right generation, and the mystery has been revealed by the Holy Spirit. When something is a mystery of God, only God is able to reveal it, and that's true here, as the Holy Spirit is the one revealing it. And who does it say that he revealed it to? It's not just Paul, but to God's holy apostles and prophets. If you remember from last week, Paul mentioned the apostles and prophets before when he was talking about the new people in Christ being built into a holy temple. The foundation of that temple was said to be the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The book of Acts describes how Peter was given the revelation of the mystery, and and Galatians talks about how the Spirit gave it to Paul. So we've seen how the readers would understand the mystery when it was made known to them, but what is the mystery? Paul answers that in verse six. He says, The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Christ, or with, with Israel, members together in one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. It's like Paul's gotten everybody around the table, and he's just listing off everything about the mystery. And you're just waiting with bated breath to know what it is. And he finally lets the cat out of the bag. The mystery is that the Gentiles are now fully part of the Christian faith when they follow Christ. And it's only available through the gospel, which means good news. In the gospel of Jesus, it's the gospel of Jesus where he lays down his life for everyone's sin. Paying the penalty that we owed to God, the penalty of death. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice As he went to the cross. Because he loved us. And it wasn't just for those who were Jewish and followed the laws of the Old Testament. But for everyone in the world who believes in Christ and follows him. And because of that, there's three things that have changed for Gentile believers. Three things they've become. The first is that they are now heirs together with Israel. Last week, we spoke about the unity that is now between the Jews and Gentiles. And what this passage makes clear is that the Gentile believers did not have to become Jewish in order to be heirs of the gospel. In Romans eight sixteen and 17, Paul writes that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We've been made God's children. We are adopted into his family. If you remember from the praises that we read in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that in God's love, in verse 5, he says, In God's love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. As God's children, Gentiles are now heirs and receive the inheritance of that heirs would get. The second thing is that Gentiles is, it, have become members together of one body. Bodies made up of many diverse parts, and so is the body of Christ. Paul writes about this in first Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, where he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. I mean, think about your body. Think about how many different parts are made up in your body, and yet it's still one body. I I looked it up, and according to the highly credible Answers.com, Um, website there are over 7500 named parts of the body 7500 that's a lot that's not even counting like the cells that you that make all of that up i mean i read recent estimates put over uh, 30 trillion cells make up the human body and yet all those parts all those cells work together to form one body so it is with the church the church is made up of many, many different parts, but it's still one body, and the head of that body is Christ. Paul writes in Colossians 1.18, and he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. As Christ leads, so the church should follow. It's tough to be a body working in unison when different parts are trying to do different things that they're not really supposed to be doing. So the Gentiles are heirs with Israel. They are members together in one body, and now Gentiles share together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Again, if you recall from last week, this is how Paul described the former position of the Gentiles when they were apart from Christ, Ephesians 2.12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship with Israel, or in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. but what is the promise here? Well, in the context of the rest of the letter, what we see is that the promise is the Holy Spirit. Ephesians one thirteen, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. More literally, you'd say it's the Holy Spirit of promise. Marcus Barth writes that because his presence manifests God's presence among his people, the Spirit is indeed the epitome of God's promise. So the mystery's been revealed. Here's how John Stott describes it. The complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. It's the double union with Christ and with each other, which is the substance of the mystery. Now, Paul goes on to talk about how he became a steward of this gospel and this this mystery. Ephesians 3, 7 says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Now, Paul's an interesting character in the New Testament because he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. He's not always zealous for the cause of Christ. At one time, he was a Pharisee. He was zealous for God and persecuting anybody that might pose a threat. And somebody claiming to be the Messiah, being executed and then now still having followers that are preaching the blasphemous message, which is what Paul would have thought, that was a threat that needed elimination. And so Paul went about persecuting the early church, as Acts 9-1 says. He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. But then something changed. He was heading to a Syrian city called Damascus. Acts 9-3-5 tells the story of what happened on the way. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Paul was blinded and then taken into the city, and a man named Ananias is called by the Lord to come and restore his sight. Ananias is worried because he knew Paul's reputation. But in Acts 9.15, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So Paul's mission went from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ, and specifically mainly to the Gentiles. And it's a wonderful picture of God's grace in action. In a few places in his letters, Paul writes about how he doesn't view himself as more elevated than anybody else. And the same is true here in verse 8, where he says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. He says, Although I'm, I'm less than the least, Of all the Lord's people, he's still giving me this grace. And there's two things mentioned. The first is that he's able to preach to the Gentiles the boundless, the unfathomable riches of Christ. Like we saw, Paul was God's chosen instrument to proclaim his name to the Gentiles. Second, Paul was to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. And again, the mystery is that the Gentiles have become heirs together with Israel, members of one body, and sharers together in the promise. It's no longer two distinct peoples like you had in the past, because you had Jews and you had Gentiles. But now we're adding a third category, Christians. Paul was given the mission by God to make this all plain to people, to everyone. And Paul concludes this section by saying that the mystery was kept hidden in God for ages past. That means it wasn't some afterthought in God's mind. Francis Foulkes writes that God is spoken of here as the one who created all things in order to imply that this was his purpose from the beginning of creation. Though in his wisdom, he chose to reveal it to humanity in stages. This was the plan from the beginning. I mean, if you go back to God's promises to Abraham back in Genesis, the Lord said that Abraham would be a blessing to all nations. Not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but everybody together. Let's continue in Ephesians 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So Paul is to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery. So we see that God's intent is that his manifold wisdom would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Manifold means like many-sided or varied. What Paul is saying is that God's wisdom is now being made known to angelic beings through the church. Uh, Harold Hohner in his Commentary writes that equality between Jews and Gentiles was beyond the comprehension of any human being and any angelic being. But the church isn't just like preaching to the heavenly rulers and authorities. But that union into the church, that unity that they have now, is is the evidence of God's grace. And this is all according to God's purposes uh, accomplished in Christ Jesus as written about in verse 11. And now God is accessible to everybody through uh, Jesus and it's not that we're preaching to the heavenly realms or anything like that, but they see the, the fruit of it. Verse 12 says that it is in Christ and through faith in him that we can now approach God in freedom, which can also be translated as boldness and confidence. Hebrews 4.16 talks about this. As Christ has become our great high priest, descended into heaven, it says, let us, approach God's th- let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, Paul concludes this little aside before going back to his prayer, which starts in verse 14, but he finishes up his thought that he started in verse 1 here uh, at the end of the section of verse 13. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Again, Paul is in prison And he's in prison, he says, for their sake. He's in prison because he preached the message that Jews and Gentiles were now together heirs in God's family, members of one body. But Paul wasn't really worried about that because he was following what God was telling him to do. And he's telling the Ephesians, don't be discouraged for me and what I'm going through in prison because it's for your glory that this is happening. And as we learn in his letter to the Philippians, Paul has learned to be content in whatever situation he finds himself in. He writes in Philippians 4:12 and 13, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul is content because he knows that even though he's in prison, God's there with him. And he gives him the strength to go through anything that he's going through. He's just reminding the Ephesians, don't be discouraged. It's going to be okay. And it would be tough for them because they cared deeply for Paul. But even in a prison cell, he knew who was in his corner. And and because of that, he would continue to try to encourage the church as best that he could. And I think this is what we can go away with today. Paul talked about how Christians can approach God with freedom, with boldness and confidence. And we need to live in that freedom and confidence. The same thing that we see in Paul himself, sitting in prison, yet boldly proclaiming God's grace. Boldly living it out. Living in freedom and and confidence in Christ. And we can do that. Even though we may not be put in prison for our beliefs at the moment, but we can still boldly live in freedom and confidence that we have. In Jesus, we can live lives that look different than the rest of the world, that are distinctive, that that may make us outcasts or just weird to other people, but we can live different lives. We can live with a biblical framework for our lives. We do not have to give in to the way that the world does things. We don't have to be like the world. We're not supposed to be like the world. We do have to be like Christ. And, and to show the world what they're missing in him as he works through us. We may go through difficult times, but we respond to those differently. Not denying the difficulties, but knowing that, as Kyle Snodgrass writes, whatever happens and wherever we are, we're there with and for Christ, enjoying God's grace. That is our identity. And we may be bold, but we're not presumptuous. We may be confident, but we're not arrogant. But in everything we do, we live in and for Jesus. And hopefully others will be drawn to God through his work in us. The great mystery of God is that his people, Jews and Gentiles, would one day be unified as one body with Christ as the head. And we're still part of that body today as followers of Jesus. If you're not following Jesus, then we invite you to do so today. Because there's nothing better. And you can live in that same confidence that Paul lived in. Knowing that however things go, Christ is still with you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, that is our prayer. That, Lord, we we live boldly for you. We live our lives out in the freedom and the confidence that we have, knowing that we are your sons and daughters, that you have adopted us into your family. We are so thankful for that message that Paul gave to the Ephesians 2,000 years ago that still resonates with us today. And Father, it is a message of grace, a message that comes only through the gospel only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come to the point in our service right now where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made through communion. The bread representing the body that was broken. It was, it was nailed to a cross. The juice that represents the blood that was spilled by Christ on that cross. And we remember that he died there that day on Calvary. And they took his body and they buried it in a tomb. But three days later, up from the grave he arose. And we celebrate that. We celebrate that we are now part of your body, Lord. Lord. Help us to live those lives that are distinctive. Help us to live in confidence that you are with us always. Like Jesus promised in Matthew 28 that he is with us to the very end of the age. And we know one day he's going to come back and going to take us home. This isn't it. We know this. This is temporary. We know one day, Lord, that you will return. And we look forward to that day. It's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.